In a world of Super Nintendo, there is one podcast that's come to the forefront. Soul Blazers, the SNES podcast. Two hosts, many games, it's Super Nintastic. Now playing on an MP3 player near you. Welcome to the Super NES Podcast. This is episode number 29. Um, we are going to be talking about like one of the uh, great games of the system and a true classic. Uh, one of those, uh, definitely definitely one of those, the uh, break glass case emergency games uh, that uh, it's just, you know, definitely like a lot of fun to talk about. Um, the awesome uh, Square RPG uh, Chrono Trigger, which came out for the Super NES back in 1995. Um, and I, I have with me tonight my usual co-host, like Alessandro. Uh, so how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you going? Pretty good. Uh, glad to be talking with you like about this game. Uh, Man, I'm excited. And I'm so glad I actually can be on this episode because obviously I'm fairly new to the show and I've listened to all like all the um, content that you've released so far. And I was just like, I've got to be on the Chrono, uh, Chrono episode. <laughs> I have to be on this show, definitely. So yeah. thank you for like, having me here today. Um, so before we get talking about the game, uh, just some just, just some podcast notes, uh, uh, some notes and Super NES related related stuff, related stuff I had to go over. Um, uh, our last episode, Super Mario World, uh, was also like was also featured like was also covered recently, uh, like on the like on the Brooklyn Bites podcast, a podcast I mentioned I mentioned last time. Uh, they also were inspired by the fact that it was the uh, anniversary uh, anniversary of the launch of the game in the system in the system system in the, in the U.S. to cover the game. Uh, and it's definitely a great listen. If you want to hear Super Mario World some more and hear like and hear and hear a slightly different take on it, uh, definitely check out their podcast. Um, also, there was also another classic launch Super NES game uh, covered recently uh, by another podcast, uh, the Press Continue podcast, which is on the which is on the Throwback Network uh, and operates and operates in a very similar format as this one. Uh, recently covered F Zero, uh, which was 
which was also launched Super NES Game in North America and also a game that's been featured on this podcast. Um, and in both those cases, uh, it was very interesting listening to this podcast because both uh, because, because because for both those games, you had, the, you had the perspective of somebody who had played the game back then versus somebody who play, versus somebody who's playing the game now for like the first time. So uh, it's definitely great hearing about the perspective of somebody uh, back then, like versus now. Very similar to how like Alessandro was new to like new to Final Fantasy IV. Uh, when we covered that game uh, on the podcast on the podcast just like a months ago, and it's very fascinating to me to hear about the perspectives of people, but um, like some of these great games back then, like versus now. So uh, definitely, let's definitely check out this podcast. Uh, also, as mentioned previously, we are we, we are entering the final stages of uh, final stages of transitioning the the, the podcast host uh, over from Podomatic to Libsyn. Uh, and this episode, the Chrono Trigger one, will be the first episode that will be on the Lipson um, network. Uh, this also will be on Podomatic as well, but the Podomatic site is going to be shut down uh, several days after this episode comes out. So uh, we are going to be inaugurating our Lipson site with this episode. Uh, the planned date for that to go live is going to be in a little bit over a week. I'm kind of aiming at about September uh, 5th or 6th, uh, Labor Day weekend, to, 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 to officially get that rolled out. Uh, I will make announcements on Atari Age and Facebook and other sites as relevant to when it's up and live. Um, unfortunately, I've not been able to get Apple to get back to me, so it looks like the feed's going to have to be started up again. But um, you know, I will also get that going on my end, and we'll share all the announcements and uh, announcement everything when that is found like, up and ready to go. So... Um, Finally, uh, we are going to be doing a special Super NES draft episode coming up coming up soon. Uh, this the, the the format of this is going to be similar to other to other podcasts that have done the draft format, where everybody's going to pick five games, and they're going to um, uh, and the game is also going to have a theme. This will be a personal personal theme that nobody would have any connection about. Um, a, a pragmatic theme, uh, some way the game's connected, whatever. Just like you know, each person's going to go around to the table, pick a game, talk to pick a game, talk to the system, talk briefly, like whether they like it, that, like all that stuff. Um, so far, plan for this episode, besides myself and Alessandro, we're also supposed to, we're also supposed to have uh, Phil, the No Sewer Gamer, uh, and host the Atari 700 Game by Game podcast on the episode, and we're also supposed to have uh, Aaron and Paul from. Uh, like Metro Obscura, uh, so there may be some other ones coming up. Uh, coming up also, uh, the planned date for that episode is going to be Friday, October sixteenth. So, so that's everything I have on my end for uh, for housekeeping news. Like, how about you, like Alessandro? Yeah, no, I'm just again, you know, um, with myself, we got uh, a lot of content coming up on the on the Facebook page. I just want to make sure that um, people watch out for the announcement to Libsyn, um, but also I just recently. Um, reflected on a past episode that I want to make sure that people go back and listen to and hopefully it will be up on the Lipson page when it comes out. Um, but the Act Razor episode as well, and I just wanted to say I've just done a little review um, to reflect on that, that podcast show because it's one of the best ones you did, Greg. So I just want to make sure maybe that people want to go back and listen to some of those episodes, they should do so. Yes, that was a great episode. It's a great game. And it was definitely a lot of fun having Aaron on. <laughs> to air on with me talk about that game uh, because like he obviously he certainly contributed like a lot to uh, he certainly like contributed like a lot to that conversation so uh, that's definitely like a classic game but uh, speaking about classic games uh, let's get into this one
as people know, the Super NES definitely had a lot of great RPGs that came out for it during the course of its lifetime. Uh, and Chrono Trigger is definitely is definitely an RPG that uh, 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 people that people think of very highly uh, for the system, like along with Earthbound and but the Final Fantasies, the, the Final Fantasy, a couple other games. Uh, this game originally came out uh, in Japan in March of 1995 and got a North American release in August uh, in August of 95. It was later ported over to the PlayStation as part of the Final Fantasy Chronicles, which came out in 2001. Uh, they also got, also got a Nintendo DS port in 2008, Japan, 2009, uh, rest of the world. And actually, um, that, that version of the game, the Nintendo DS one, is the first one to get a power release. Uh, this game... Uh, this game was not available outside of North America and Japan up to that point. So, um, so I'm a, uh, sorry, I, mean, I was a little bit surprised to hear Alessandro say he wanted to cover this game because of the fact that it didn't get um, um, a power release until that point. Um, what's your history and experience like of the game then, Alessandro? Should you play it uh, back then like, by like emulation? Yeah, so when uh, this came out in the States... I knew about it just through a magazine called Super Play. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that uh, magazine, but it's a Super Nintendo-centric magazine out of the UK, and it's the best Super Nintendo magazine that existed. It's beautiful. It's um, something that I recommend if people can go back and check out some past um, issues. But they previewed a lot of imported games, and RPGs were kind of getting a lot more popular you know, from 93, 94, especially with Final Fantasy VI being such a success um, globally. So when Chrono, Chrono Trigger was um, released, it got a lot of exposure. Um, and I was um, just getting into RPGs through Secret Overmore, which came out in 95. So Chrono Trigger I was very interested in because, um, you know, as we'll get to, it goes more along the lines of Secret of Mana. And, 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 and so um, so I remember reading about it and being very excited about it, but of course never got a chance to play it um, until a few years back where I did jump into the ROM space and check it out. And... Uh, of course, um, it was an amazing experience, but I have played the DS version, which I got last year, and um, yeah, it just it re- uh, reiterated how good this RPG is, because I just think when you conversate about um, role-playing games with friends or anything else, you know, Chrono Trigger uh, is a definite conversation point that you've got to have, just because of its um, epic scale of an adventure. Um, so once again, I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk to you about it, especially after experiencing it a few times um, and really putting it on my, my top 10 list, definitely, of RPGs. Well, my experience with the game was somewhat similar. I also did not play this back when it first came out because when this game came out in, it came out in 95, uh, I was in college. Uh, my gaming... Uh, my gaming experiences and access to games and time changed significantly when it changed significantly for me uh, between high school uh, for me in the early nineties and when I went out to college in like September of ninety four because I lost access to my mom's store obviously so I wasn't able to get games uh, that cheap uh, as it had been as I had in previous years um, I uh, I no longer got games for Christmas and birthday my parents my parents kind of considered me to be too old that kind of stuff. By that point, so um, so I uh, so I got shut off from getting games. Was gift shut off from the store, uh, so I had to pretty much buy my games at that point. And as you know, college students do not have a lot of spending money available. So uh, especially for you know, especially for an RPG like this, which launched at a little bit higher than normal retail price uh, for Super NES games. So um, I was not able to play this back when it first came out uh, because the 
I was still buying some. I, I was I was still buying some Super NES games, but you know, I just didn't. Even, I but even I heard how good it was, and even though and even though by then I had an appreciation for for RPGs, I just simply wasn't able to get the money for it. So um, I first played this by emulation when I was in grad school several years later. I'd say about 2000. I probably played this. But I played this game like the first time, and yeah, it's definitely an amazing RPG. Uh, uh, not to tip my hand too much, but you know, I still prefer the Final Fantasies a, a little bit over this one. But this is still a great game, and just that there's a lot of there's a lot of the uh, different things uh, that this game brought to the table that have kind of been carried over to more modern RPGs. So um, because like you know, Square uh, Square really had their to Square really had the top count like working this game. I mean, like you know, they're um, you know. Uh, the so-called a yeah, dream team, the, the, uh, the three people at Square who designed this game, they were all they were all, uh, you know, this game was made at the peak of Square's abilities on the Super NES, at the peak of these people's abilities, like making games. Everything just came together like in a perfect storm combination to really be able to make this uh, really just a truly groundbreaking game. Um, you have a, uh, I'm probably going to butcher these Japanese names here like a little bit. Uh, you had like, uh, you had like you know like, uh, like Kanabu. Uh, Sakaguchi, uh, who created the, uh, the Final Fantasy series, like for Square, uh, uh, as one of those like three people, uh, you had like Yuji Hori, who was a freelance designer and creator of the Dragon Quest series, uh, like Phoenix, um, and you also had Akira Toriyami, who was a freelance uh, magnet artist, who best known the Dragon Quest, Dra- Dragon Quest Dragon Ball series, um, and then you also had a. Um, uh, Matsuo Takato writing most of the plot, and it was dual composers for this game, uh, because like, uh, because most of the game's music was written by uh, Sony uh, Mitsuda be- uh, before he got ill, and then like, whew, like then the rest of the the rest of the, the rest of the soundtrack for the for, like the game was, was finished up by the legendary Umatsu. Umatsu, yes, like Final Fantasy. Yeah. So yeah. just yeah. an excellent combination of people, uh, people working like working like working the, like working on this. Really know like the peak of their abilities, so uh, just yeah. When you've got such a powerhouse of talent um, on a on a project like this, uh, you know everything aligns, the stars align in the sky, and you get a masterpiece. Um, and in terms of design, they had a lot of limitations because they had a vision of something special and something that they want to differentiate from the Final Fantasy series. But to get that done, they had to work with limitations. And I think that's what made them come up with a really successful outcome just because of working towards something that was limiting um, but getting the best out of that. Um, and especially because it was late on in the, in the Super Famicom, Super Nintendo lifespan, uh, they had the access to a bigger chip obviously as well. Um, mm. so that gave them that ability to kind of, um, reach their goals. It's interesting yeah. actually, because, um, I really, what I really admire about Japanese developers is the ego is put aside. When you look at the talent and, and the catalog of games, these guys have worked on, um, for them to be able to come together and, and collaborate efficiently and having something that they're so proud of, um, it's a yeah, it's a really it's a, it's a win for games because um, there's so much talent on it, and we got something special to play. And it's evident to this day uh, that Chrono Trigger remains a very timeless RPG with not many dated mechanics at all. Um, so yeah, credit to them, and I think we're very lucky and blessed to have this um, experience available to us. Oh, oh and yeah, a, definitely. And a, sorry, and one more point, and I think there's a name we um, 
we definitely left off the, the list. And um, that's Ted Woolsey. Do you know about mm. this gentleman? He's a, um, a transcriber. He's the guy that translates yes. the games. But he has a very big part to play in this because it's, as viewers would know, um, when you're transcribing something that's in Japanese, obviously there's context differentiations and, and culture differentiations that has to apply to something in English. And he's obviously worked in on other um, Squaresoft games that you can probably uh, mention as well, Greg. But he did a great job taking this, the essentials of a story and bring it over um, to this experience. And um, I think he's, he's a name that definitely needs to be mentioned. Um, that's Ted Woolsey. Yes, and in very little time too. Uh, he said in interviews that Square only gave him like four weeks to translate to four weeks to four weeks to four weeks to translate this game. Uh, when he really wanted like about like three and a half months. So uh, um, yeah, yeah. He also translated Final Fantasy four and Final Fantasy six and a bunch of other. No, I'm sorry. I no, I'm sorry. I don't. I do not believe he translated Final Fantasy four. Um, I, I know he translated Final Fantasy six. Um, so and he did two and three. I'm pretty sure two was like a really big rush job. Three, he was a major part of. I, mm. I, I don't want to say something that's not correct, uh, but yeah. what I when I, I I would just suggest to readers, he's got such a fascinating story of how he got into the business. Mm. Um, so if you guys can check out online, there's great interviews online about his career. Um, but he, it's it's a very interesting read. I definitely yeah. recommend it to people, especially if you no, just yeah. go soft RPG lineup. Mm. Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, translation is one of those things that people really don't really have a full understanding for, appreciation for, just how much the effort and hard work that it is uh, that goes into it. And, you know, I thought the translation for the game was pretty good. Um, you know, there were a couple rough spots here and there, but that's to be expected of the games of a time period. It's certainly been in Final Fantasy IV, um, and, the translation, and, the translation, and the translation of this game felt with me on par to Final Fantasy VI, uh, as far as the overall like, high quality of it. And um, this was not Square's last RPG, uh, like the system. Um, you know, they would come out with Super Mario RPG uh, later on after this, which was a super joint effort like Nintendo. But by this time period, Square definitely had learned. Ha, 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 Square definitely learned how to be able to maximize Super NES and how to be able to get the most out of it. Um, and this game also shipped on a, for the time, massive uh, cart size. Uh, it was Ooh. a. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it was a 32-meg uh, cart. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, and but they yeah. even said in an interview um, that they SquareSoft actually anticipated this game to be a CD-ROM release um, for the event. The, the CD-ROM obviously didn't get released for the Super Nintendo, um, hmm. but they were anticipating it to be on, on a disc. So it's just interesting that they they were able to get it on a cart size. Um, again, big win for them. And they still had to make them compromise to cut some things out. Yeah. Uh, some yeah. of that, yeah. Uh, the later releases of the game uh, had some of that, you know, restored content back onto it. But um, um, yeah, definitely one of the things this game was really unique for the time period was that you know, like I'm, you know, and one thing I noticed right away, this is one of the first games. I think it made, I, I think it may be the first Japanese RPG actually that battles that battles were determined not by random. You know, random encounters, but you actually could see them on the field, um, and you could decide if they want to engage them in combat or not. Uh, whereas, you know, uh, most RPGs these days follow that uh, follow that pattern, whether or not they're like Japanese or Western based. So uh, to have the, 
But to see this this early was like, you know, was like, wow, I can't believe it actually came up with that concept this early. So, um, you know, I, like, you know, I prefer being able to see your enemies in the field as opposed to random battles. I think they both have pros and cons, but, you know, being able to decide if you want to engage in the combat or not um, is, I think, a big part of playing an RPG because, you can, uh, because, you, because it allows you to look at your party's strengths and resources and decide if you want to engage or not. And it also makes grinding, like, a bit easier, too. Uh, because you simply just like run on screen, get your enemies run off, and be guaranteed that you're going to run into those battles. I think, as from a from an accessible point of view, you know that those random encounters can get very tedious for the non fan of our Final Fantasy. You know, if you've grown up playing that type of game, you're used to it. But it's they've found a way to kind of transition. You know, as your party runs down in an area, and then when you encounter a monster that you see. You know, the battle menu just scrolls out. So it's a very transitional situation. So you don't have to cut screens or anything. just go straight into it. Um, I think that's very unique. And for me, I wish we saw more of this in a lot of RPGs going forward. You know, Secret of, Secret of Mana and Secret Evermore, um, both, both developed by Squaresoft, had a very action flow, didn't cut at all. I just... I just feel like this is the perfect in, in the in the middle between Final Fantasy and that. I just think I would have loved to have seen this more applied to later RPGs. I just think it's so much fun, um, especially with the elements of attack when you've got special moves with tech and magic spells, and you can combine with your party. I'm sure we'll get to as well. Yes, um, you know I really don't know if you play these games like Alessandro, but you know I was actually reminded very strongly playing 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 again recently. Um, how combat works in this game versus how it works in the Star Ocean games, like Enix. Uh, that's also like, very similar. Um, you know, except the Star Ocean games have more of a, a real-time element of combat to them. Um, you know, that, I, and it tends to be carried over to the more recent Final Fantasy games, uh, you know, such as like, you know, Final Fantasy XIV as well. So, but... Um, um, another thing that makes this game like so unique and loved is the story. The story of this game is... Really massive. Uh, it's not any more massive than like a Final Fantasy game, for example. But the but the whole time skipping and jumping around element that this game has, where like, you're playing around different like different eras um, of time, both like in the past and future as you're going through, uh, really helps to make a very like, engaging story because like you know you're always hopping around from area to area and you're always doing different things and how, and what you do in area A may affect things in area B and so on. And the game keeps track of all that as far as your character. Characters, um, but you know, character reactions and how they respond to items and, and items and powers and that kind of stuff, and it's all woven together just beautifully, just with the whole time skipping, the time skipping part and the gameplay and the plot, like and everything. Um, so just like you know, you uh, because the game starts off like very casual, very normal, like you really, like you really don't think anything about it. Um, and then all of a sudden something happens and you suddenly go into a different time period and then time period and then you go another time period and so on and so on and just like you know, uh, it's really engaging, engaging, riveting, riveting story that makes you you, you know, makes you want to keep playing to find out like, what happens next. Yeah, like. Obviously, readers probably, our listeners will probably have listened uh, played this game at this point. But if you haven't, just to summarize, so pretty much Chrono, the protagonist, um, you know, his ultimate goal is to really prevent the end of the world um, at the hands of you know an evil entity, Lavos, um, and you know you make choices that affect the future and it's time travel and it's exciting, like you mentioned, Greg. But comparing it next to the narrative of what Final Fantasy kind of brought. 
I think it's a little bit different here when it comes to all the characters combined because when I was preparing for the show, I was kind of just creating like some notes regarding my thoughts and, and what I felt. And what's weird, and I found that normally, like especially when you're playing Final Fantasy VI, um, how all the characters kind of had a backstory and you kind of found out what that was throughout the show, uh, throughout the game. But with this, with this game, there's no real backstory except for maybe, I think, Frog, you kind of get a real sense of where he came from. But I'm not nitpicking, I'm not saying this is a negative, but compared to like a lot of other uh, Squaresoft games, the, the protagonists don't really have a lot of backstory. You, you go on as you go, you hear what you hear as you play through. Um, and I don't know if that's a, that's a, a negative, um, but character development isn't as strong for me in this game that it is in Final Fantasy, I guess. Um, you know, there's no real motivation for Chrono except to stop the end of the world happening um and i just would have liked to see a little bit more you know uh, i guess where he came from or what he's actually what was his role beforehand you know instead of it just being in front of you and then you just go on this story and his, his motivations are really not familiar do you kind of get what i'm saying like it's a really odd element that squaresoft normally is known for is that having really solid epic backstories um for all the protagonists but here it's all about um here it is here's the issue go do it Yes, definitely. I um, mean, you know, I think the, I know, I think the best way to describe Chrono, uh, the main character in this game, like I said, he plays the role of a sound protagonist. Um, he doesn't really speak. Uh, I think he speaks maybe like once in the game, uh, like for choice, like late in the game. But that's about it. Um, and you know, like so, like so, the characters, the characters, the characters around you. Uh, change and develop a little bit. So they do have some backstories. They're certainly not as sophisticated or deep as Final Fantasy games, but but you're um, you're basically playing Chrono. You're seeing like you're seeing you're seeing all these characters become his friends or his enemies or, or whatnot or, or whatnot to like, interact or interact with them that kind of stuff. And just he doesn't see and you know Chrono doesn't say a word pretty much the whole game. Um, and like you say, you know he doesn't have any. There's you know like. Um, you know a little bit about his uh, story, his background, and whatnot, but the game doesn't really tell you anything more about him as it goes on. Yeah, so like, it's pretty much up to you. Exactly. To like just, it's, like it doesn't like really affect the game experience as such. It's just if you're used to playing RPGs, you kind of want to know more about the, the character you're playing, and, um, and I guess you know a larger scale of motivation. But that's just my opinion. I'm not again. It's not a knock on the game. It just I was just trying to compare it to what Final Fantasy brought to the table um, when it comes to narrative, um, especially as, as rich as this one. I just that's the one thing that I kind of didn't see um, after reviewing and analyzing um, the actual concept of the plot. Mm, definitely, but the sound protagonist is something that's still being used like in current games today too. Yes, so, like, you definitely. Know, um, but uh, uh, and, and again, I think this would. Yeah, and again, I think I think this is one of the first games, uh, one of the first RPGs to actually have like sound protagonist uh, role, at least well, like Japanese with, like with, RPGs. So. With Link, Link um, from Zelda, um, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's been silent protagonist since day one, no? True, yeah, but that's more of an action adventure game. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, yeah. I was thinking, yeah, but when you look I, at I plot know. and narrative, it, again, you're going through this story and you're you're a major part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, obviously, I don't want to compare an RPG with an action RPG, but just in general, uh, I think Link is a, is a character that's that's been the same since day one. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and another conversation would be, well, when is that going to change? You know, <laughs> you know, are we going to get a more deeper uh, story of Zelda? Anyway, that's another mm-hmm. another conversation for another day. Right. Um, some other like unique aspects that this game had. Uh, we already mentioned the time travel part of it. Um, you know, just how you. Like how the game goes on, like you get the ability to be able to, to gain the ability to be able to, 
to be able to go through different parts uh, to, to different time periods of the game world, uh, like we're using like you know time gates. Um, and there's also um, uh, also like also like pretty unique was in the combat system. Uh, they still use the active time battle system that the Final Fantasy, so the Final Fantasy games had, uh, but you also had the ability to be able to. Uh, uh, tech attacks, like the tech system that was introduced like this game, which allowed you to basically combine an attack from one character and then an attack from the character to the enemy special like special attack. Um, and that was the first also the uh, first also like for, uh, 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 like for square based RPG game. Yeah, like I feel like it's very innovative how you know the tech the tech attacks can be combined and you can play around with it with the combination of party members. To contribute, like when you have that three-part tech attack, you know it's a massive, massive monster um, beatdown that you put put in, on your enemy. Um, and I don't think I've seen this in an RPG since. I don't know um, if, you've, if, if you've experienced it elsewhere, but it's a very cool element of this game, and it's very satisfying to pull off something that's just so powerful. Mm. Oh, and you know, I think also this was the first uh, uh, a Square RPG game to have New Game Plus feature available, also too. Uh, and after you beat the game, you're able to go back to New Game Plus, which is basically kind of unlocked. I know, um, which allows you to be able to start the game over again, with, like the same character levels, techniques, equipment, and whatnot. Um, yeah. But you also yeah. will, I know, but you're able to go back in and unlock some additional stuff. Uh, and this is really expanded to like onto like you know later versions of the game as well. So well, it's um, it's it's New Game Plus, but there's incentive for New Game Plus. It's done so mm-hmm. well because, as you'll probably mention, there's. 13 possible endings in this game. So, like, there's a reason to play through it again and make different decisions that alter the outcome. And because it's so an expensive adventure, it's worth playing through, especially when you get to keep all your abilities and you're super powered. It's a lot of fun yeah. to just battle through this and experience it again. That's something else that's also, like, amazing because this game has 13 endings available to it. For a game to come out in the mid-'90s to have that many endings, like, was, like, mind-blowing. But, you know, and luckily today, thanks to YouTube, um, so you don't have to play the game 13 times to be able to see all the endings. You can simply just, like, you know, go on there and hop on, hop on there and see the, hop on there and see the other endings. Um, the endings, uh, yeah, the endings for the game are all quite good. Some of them are dark, some of them are, uh, some of them are happy, some of them are weird. But it's up to you to decide, you know, what you think your own personal ending um, to the game is, what your, you know, what your favorite uh, best ending is. Just like, you know... Um, and you know, some of the endings are affected by, um, something else that also happens in this game that's also, like, very, very unique. Um, this is a spoiler, but then, of course, considering the fact this game is, uh, uh, I'm, you know, like, 20 years old at this point, I really don't, I'm really, I don't think I'm really doing, like, any harm here. Um, this game is also, like, very unique in the fact that during the game, halfway, uh, during the game, halfway, you know, halfway like to the game, the main character Chrono actually dies. Um, it's like for a game to actually lose the main character like that, it was simply like shocking, like the time period. And you don't have to get him back. Some of the endings of the game, um, uh, um, uh, it's, it's possible to beat the game and see some of the endings like about bringing Chrono back to life, which is possible later like, in the game. But um, Characters just didn't die a lot in, in RPGs up to this point, and if they did die, um, they usually the you know they usually came back later on in the game. Final Fantasy IV was famous like for that. Um, to have the main character not only die but also have the option to keep him dead was just simply mind blowing like the time period and just like very very unique. Yeah, 
it's a very dark concept when you kill a protagonist and allow the, the gamer to kind of continue to play the game without someone that you've kind of fallen for. Um, and I, I could imagine at the time, uh, you know, the thoughts on that is like, wow, they actually did it. And, and maybe it's an annoying aspect, but it's cool that you have the option to bring him back. You have to go and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and continue through the story with him. Um, but the, the fact that you have the option not to, that's awesome for me. Like that's such a, a great, great. It's a, it's a cool thing to have just because it's different, completely different to what you normally would do naturally in any game. So I'm glad they kept that in because I can imagine that discussion at the, at the development table where it's like, we want to kill off the protagonist and allow the gamer to play without him. I mean, that would, for me, that's mind blowing, right? If you really think about it um, in the conventions of storytelling, it's weird because from a consumer, like when you, when you're watching something, you want a nice ending that kind of feels um, satisfying because you've attached yourself to somebody and seen this story progress with that person, that individual, and have them not there for the end of the game. I think that's, yeah, for me, that's awesome. Mm. So let's talk about characters next. Uh, this game only has six, like six main playable characters, like along with a uh, optional one, which is kind of a small party roster, again, Again, compared to Final Fantasy games, um, but these six characters are all very well balanced, and they're all like very, very useful in combat. I think, whereas like you know, in some Final Fantasy games, certain characters like are more useful than others. Again, I think because of the fact that you can lose Colonel, the main character, halfway halfway through the game, Square consciously had to design the characters. I think to make them balanced and powerful, and to be able to allow you to be able to beat the game, uh, but you know, having these uh, like other characters like in your party. Um, uh, besides Chrono. Uh, who is a, a young man who like, uses a katana in battle. You also have uh, Marlene, uh, 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 who you found out, you found out like, in the game is actually a princess, um, and she has some you know, magical abilities. Uh, Luca is Chrono's, like, Chrono's childhood friend. Uh, she's, a, uh, she's a scientist, a genius. Like, she's always like, you know, tinkering, like, tinkering like, working like, in, like, in various like, you know, tools and machines, like, that kind of stuff. Uh, you have Robo, like he's a robot, um, like he has powerful abilities. Uh, you can get uh, uh, Aya, who's a cave drawer uh, for like a time period, uh, like he's very strong. Um, and then you also have a frog, uh, who used to be uh, a human prince. Like, uh, they got like you know cursed to a frog. Um, and then you also have a um, uh, uh, also have the uh, and the last main character, like, is uh, Guardia, um, who, we, uh, who, like, I really don't remember too much about. I think he's just, like, kind of, like, a, uh, he's also, like, a prince, also, who has some, like, you know, flex very, like, uh, who's from a kingdom that was just, your, your kingdom, who's just a kingdom, like, who was destroyed by the great evil, like, in the past. What, what was uh, the character's name that you so, just said? Uh, I believe his name is Guardia. Is it Magus? Are you talking about Magus? Because I don't know who mm. the character you're talking about. Sorry, I'm just, oh. I'm just trying to. I'm, I'm, I've got the characters here, and I, I've obviously played through this game many times. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I think it's yep, Magus. Right. I think he's the. Yeah. yeah, sorry, just to confirm um, the name. Yeah. Nope. Sorry. Yeah, that's the name of the kingdom that he's from. I'm sorry. Uh, I got my notes like a bit like mixed up here, but. Uh, um, yeah, so, um, you know, um, my favorite characters of the game, besides Chrono, like, were, like, you know, uh, Marley and Robo, because, like, you know, um, uh, Marley has a very interesting story, and she has some very, like, you know, like, uh, like different attacks. It's kind of fun to watch her, to watch her change and power up as the game goes on. And Robo, 
all these robots. Like, it was like robots. <laughs> but, uh, um, so, like, what we were, um, so, yeah, I, I tended to use those two as much as I could, uh, uh, during the game. How about you? Well, um, I think it's important to note as well that the elements of magic play a major part in this game, especially in the boss battles, because as most soft, uh, you know, square soft RPGs, there's that strategy element of mat- matching the right elements against, um, bosses with more effect. Um, so each character has a specific element attached. So, you know, from lightning, water, I think there's shadow and fire. Um, but that played a part in your selection of team because you kind of wanted a varied amount. And you said Mali, she's a cool character to have, not just for her backstory and her attachment to Chrono, but she's also a healer. So I always tend to have her in my party at all times. It's a Chrono. And... Um, for my for my third member, I most of the time picked Frog just because when he was available. Because at some points he leaves your group, but um, just because of uh, you could do a really um, awesome three part tech attack that was quite uh, quite massive in damage, and I just felt his attack power helped you know grind through the game um, as powerful as possible. But you know what's cool about this progression, this story, is that you get the chance to play as other um, characters to try them out instead of just getting comfortable and using the same people all the time. And it does it really well for you to kind of have an experience with AR, experience with Robo, uh, even a chance to play as Magus, who starts off as an enemy. You know, he's a very powerful character. Um, and not to forget as well that Luca, um, with her powerful fire attacks, um, she's got a, she gets to a point where she can uh, do this flare um, uh, flare attack, which is massively uh, powerful. So she's also fun to have in the group as well. Um, but that's what's so dynamic about this game is that they're all individual and they've all, they all bring something to the table. Um, and including the magic elements and their tech abilities it's just fun to play around and have um some experimentation which i find is is rare in rpgs in a way because you kind of you're battling through a story using characters available to you but um final fantasy is known some final fantasies are known to have you know uh, job abilities and, and switching in and out where here you get characters that are that have set abilities set magic um but experimenting using them as a trio and that's that's a cool dynamic for me and i think a huge selling point for this game um in terms of mechanics anyway hmm, definitely um so okay uh like so the graphics of the game um were at the time just simply amazing of like you know and i still think they hold it very well today this is kind of like the, the quintessential 16-bit graphics in this game not only because of how sharply defined they are but also because the enemy look that's kind of reflected like in the character's you know, the character design, like, how the world was looking everything. I remember, like, I remember, like, I remember playing this game the first time, like, around the first time, like, around the first time, like, around 2000, and, like, you know, um, when you're in, when you're in, when you're in one of the future kingdoms, uh, the kingdom that's, um, and it's, like, Landorin is actually, like, you know, up in the air and whatnot, and you're seeing the clouds and everything around you. I thought those graphics were better than anything that came on the PlayStation, um, you know, as far as, like, the early, few of the early PlayStation uh, uh, games. There's really gorgeous graphics. It's really um, this is really some of the some of the best sharply defined color uh, color scales and animations used in a Super NES game. And just like you know, when people think about 16-bit graphics today, they think about this game partly because of the I um, mean, you know, those really rich detailed graphics and some of the I um, mean, you know, like great and also cute looking like anime characters. Yeah, like you can tell, like a lot of love. 
has gone into um, the game in terms of its art design. You mentioned it earlier, um, Akira Toriyama, who uh, is known to work on the Dragon Ball series, has really brought an element of not just character design, but he's found a way to um, create layers of, uh, of uh, sprite color to kind of immerse you into each world because each world in the game is quite distinct. Or each time period, sorry, I should say, not world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very distinct and immersive. Like going to the future, going back in time, to the current landscape. It's just... A lot's been done to kind of bring out the most out of the sprites and it's so colorful. Um, and then going to the future where it's really dire and, and greedy, um, it, they do a great job with such limitations. And I'm glad they had the access to a 32 meg card because these obviously wouldn't have been possible without it. Um, but definitely credit to the art designers for this game. It's just, it looks beautiful. And like you said, it's a, it's really a sh- uh, showcase with what the Super Nintendo, um, in terms of its, its bar, it, it, re- it reached the bar definitely. Hmm. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, definitely. And not only the graphics, the music for this game is also legendary. Oh, oh my God, uh, the, music. Like, you know, <laughs> the music is just... Oh, yeah, I can't explain to you how much I love the music this game. There's over there's over 30 unique tracks packed into this game, which is amazing Like for Super NES game. Uh, that's... Like, like, that's even, uh, like, that's even like, more tracks than the Final Fantasy game has. And just like, you know... Uh, uh, Uimatsu did about ten of those tracks. The rest of the tracks that were done by the like original uh, composer. Um, but the whole, but yeah, the music, the music is just simply. I really don't know what to say about it except the fact that it's amazing. It just really it, it sums up it sums up it sums up both Japanese RPG and uh, and Super NES uh, sound chip. Um, just 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 so incredibly well because it's so epic. It just really just. Um, uh, music particularly has to music. Music is very important for an RPG, and just like you know, um, a great, the great track takes an already good game and enhances it by a factor of ten. And just like you know, the music of this game is so legendary that people are still are still remixing it and releasing it on CD and whatnot, like even like today. So yeah, like there's actually a really cool story I want to share um, that I was reading with um, an interview with Mitsuda. Um, he was saying that he was really at the time of Chrono Trigger. At Chrono Trigger at the start of development, he was very unhappy with his pay, you know, and he threatened to actually leave Square unless they gave him some money. Um, and one of the lead designers, Hironobu Sakaguchi, suggested if, you know, when he scores Chrono Trigger, you know, maybe your salary will go up because this game had the potential of being a masterpiece, you know. Um, so Mitsuda composed new music and he drew a lot on his personal collection of pieces uh, composed of the years prior he'd, he'd always work on on music um, and he said he reflected in an interview he said you know I, I'll quote I wanted to create music that wouldn't fit into any established genre music of an imaginary world um, the game's director Masudo Kato was my close friend so I'd always talk with him about set, about the setting and the scene before going into writing so he would he would try and visualize in his mind what was happening and kind of create this orchestral piece to kind of um, match what he was doing and and you think today that's just a natural thing for any composer of a video game but back then a lot of composers just had some epic scores and they they would put it on top of the game level but here he was completely matched with what was happening on the screen through storyboards and and that's why it had such an epic scale of proportion when it comes to the music and the composition of it because it just matches what's happening and it just elevates the whole storyline as you progress and I think it does a masterful job like and you look at Final Fantasies beforehand they really set the standards with matching soundtrack musical score to story Um, and I think today 
it would probably inspire a lot of people to how Squaresoft RPGs were put together, especially Chrono Trigger as an example, because you even said it, uh, Greg, it's so various. There's so many different songs um, that, that match different aspects of the game. Um, so, again, I can't say enough how much of a masterpiece the score is with this game. It's, it's beautiful. And you can't even really tell, like, you know, who did, who did, like, who did, like, what piece. The music, the music flowed together, like, so seamlessly that you really, you know, you have to look at a list to find out, like, who composed what. Um, and just, like, you know, like, dual, like, dual composition efforts, to do a composition efforts like that usually usually are very very difficult. So it's like the fact that two of them worked, um, you know, worked to make the music style. Um, well, like Rimatsu was able to flow his style to match to match what had already been done for the game uh, already at that point. Like, um, you know, because he came in like late in the cycle to finish up. Uh, you know, that was just amazing. Yeah, it's probably one of the top five music scores for me in any RPG I've ever heard, even today to this day. I feel anyway. Something else, also, I kind of think is kind of like you know, I mean, it's important to talk about, and I'd be curious to hear like your experiences, like on this, like Alessandro. Um, difficulty of this game, I don't, I really don't think this game is too difficult uh, uh, for most of the game, um, because like you know, you have all those the characters, you know, the characters well balanced. You certainly have a wide range of attacks and abilities, to, you know, abilities. To, you know, abilities that you can do, as long as you simply take things at your own pace and grind to the ground then like you need to. Um, I think this game is really kind of a kind of a good entry level RPG for somebody. Um, you know, I'm sure most people who already who already are who already are RPG fans have already played this game, uh, but if they but if they miss this game with like a whatnot. Uh, it's not the easiest RPG out there, but I think it's kind of one of the more easier ones as long as you simply take your time and be patient. Uh, be patient and go through the game like they will to experiment because uh, because of the fact, like I said, you know, the characters balance, balance, complement, and complement, complement like each other like so well. I did not have any problems like, uh, uh, going through this game like the like first time back then. Um, some of the boss fights were difficult, sure, and the final... Uh, I mean, the final boss fight is very, very difficult, like, no matter how you slice it. Um, but for the most part, I thought this game flowed, like, flowed very well without really too many, too many, too many difficulty spikes and without really getting stuck in too many places. Yeah, I think what, what the game does well is, is introducing the elemental system because I personally feel, and I've actually you know, read this online as well with some people's thoughts, is that the elements can be quite overpowering like especially chrono with his lightning ability mm. it's very strong so i think that's there for people who don't have the tactical know-how on how to um strategize a fight as much but what is important with this game is understanding how the mechanics work when it comes to elemental attacks um and using the tech the tech abilities strategy um, strategically with the right team members because i feel like if you haven't got a right balance in this game it can kind of get uh way more difficult than it has to be and that's what I was going back to my original point of, of the importance of, you know, experimenting with team members, making sure you have a good balance. And that's pretty much an overstatement with a lot of RPGs in general. But you said it, like, I didn't find, I found it, I didn't find it very hard to a point where it got annoying. I felt uh, you have to do a little bit of grinding to kind of level up a little bit to get through some parts. Um, but the challenge, the most challenging part in this game is the boss battles for me. The boss battles mm. are very dynamic. So... They've got a, you know, a lot of working pieces to the, the, the architecture. So you've got arms, you've got head attacks, you've got elemental uh, aspects where you've got to match the right elements. You've also got um, elements such as 
Frog has a sword, his sword eventually within the storyline becomes a major part in a boss battle because it's something that actually lowers the defense. Um, I don't want to ruin it just in case people haven't played it, but it lowers the defense of a major enemy that makes your life a lot easier. But if you didn't know that or took notice of that, your life gets a lot harder in this game. So going back to my original point, it's important that you take your time, find a balance with your team, know how to use tech attacks. Elemental attacks are important. Um, and then once you kind of get the grasp of the, all those mechanics, yeah, it becomes a really nice, accessible experience um, alongside the story, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, you know, I think the game uh, really you know, really encourages you to be able to rotate out characters, kill characters, and try different to try different attacks and experiment and experiment a lot because, like, you may. Because like you may be doing fine, this happened to me several times. Like you may be doing fine with like one party in one world, and then you run to the boss and get slaughtered. And you're like, okay, well, I need to change things up a little bit. Uh, so you like you know, you like rotate out characters, you try something else, and it works this time. Um, so the game really encourages you just to just to experiment. Certain games, certain games, it's easy to lock on to one or two characters and make them your super powered, uh, like all like all crushing people, and really not pay attention to anybody else. Uh, you can't do that in this game. You really have to spend time trying to keep everybody balanced uh, and trying to you know, trying to learn their attacks and attacks and skills and abilities and abilities and whatnot. Because like you're uh, uh, because you are going to run into run into problems. I think certain characters do better in certain worlds, and certainly certain certainly certain characters uh, are certainly uh, are certainly are certainly like advantageous to have against certain bosses. Uh, so the game kind of. The, the game kind of gently guides you toward those directions without really like beating you over the head with it. It's it's a really well constructed mechanic in, in terms of the attack and the, the fighting system, no doubt about it. So this game sold very well when it came out originally in North America for RPGs. At least simply, you know, like nowhere near as well as it sold in Japan. But then, of course, shoot, then of course during the time period, RPGs were still. Like it's a very niche market in North America. Um, the game sold over 200,000 copies uh, when it came out in North America uh, uh, back in uh, back when it originally launched, compared to like about two million copies like Japan. Um, but still, for North America for RPGs at that time, that was a large amount, um, and the game reviewed very very well. Uh, you know, like uh, looking back over some past reviews and some past comments in the game. Uh, that came out when the game came out. There's really very, very few negative comments like about the game, uh, and that kind of, that kind of sounds, that kind of sums up my thoughts like about the game also. Um, I really only have a couple, you know, a couple of small nitpicks as far as the game goes, but you know, they're all um, none of them really all that serious. I think this game really, really exemplifies what a more action. Um, action-orientated RPG uh, compared to the more traditional random battle Final Fantasy system that we've seen up to that point that can do. Just, you know, uh, it still stands up very well today. Uh, like, even the original version of the game, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the ports and the remake here in a little bit here, but even the original version of the game is still very, very playable today. Um, um, uh, as far as the overall game balance and sense of uh, and sense of wonder, sense of wonder, like that kind of stuff, and just the... Uh, um, the nitpicks I have for the game are, are so minor. Are, are so minor. I really, um, I really just don't even think they're worth mentioning. Um, I mean, how about like in your end? Is there anything that you really think the game? Yeah. No, I mentioned earlier regarding a little bit of the story. 
aspect. I would have liked to know more about what Chrono was doing before all this, just to be more of a backstory. But it's it again, like you said, it's, it's all minor. Like it's a it's a masterpiece, Greg. Mm. You know that that is a word that I don't like to use a lot, just because there's always um, something that can be improved. Nothing's perfect, mm. but Chrono Trigger is for the scale of this game to be so good. Mm. It's it's a masterpiece, and you know. I would I would say that it'd probably be again one of the most popularized RPGs in history when it comes to people's favorites, um, and and I don't I, I see the reason why, obviously. Which really makes it like more mind blowing the fact there hasn't been a true sequel like released like this game. But you think as popular as it was, um, that you know that Square would have gone back to it at some point at some point, but they never actually did. Um, the closest we got to a sequel uh, was Chrono Cross, which came up with the PlayStation interest. Uh, back in 1999, which is kind of a spiritual, a spiritual sequel like this game. Uh, great game, uh, just not as good as Chrono Trigger was. Uh, the fact we haven't gotten really a true sequel to this game is just really very, very disappointing. Well, Square's weird like that because they've got such a back catalogue of these excellent titles and they sit on them, mm. you know? When you think about it, really, what, what, apart from Final Fantasy, what have they continued from the Super Nintendo era? Yeah. You know, and, I, and it's a shame. And, of course... Square as a company is completely different now than what it was before. It transitioned into modern um, gaming and they put a lot of their resources into Final Fantasy, um, which we could talk about another day. But, you know, with Final Fantasy VII being such a success in the West, that was where they went, you know. Mm. Um, you can imagine how many, how much of a team you need to work on a, a game today than how much you need on a team back in the, the 90s, you know. <laughs> it's a very different investment. Mm. Um, so it's just a shame that they sit on such great franchises like this and, and don't um, see the need to explore them further, which they could definitely. And there's still a large fan base that would be willing. If they had a, if, if people heard a Crota Trigger sequel announcement at E3, it would get the same... It, it honestly would get, for me, the same um, passionate screams from fans than what Final Fantasy VII did. I really believe that because <laughs> over time, Crota Trigger has become popular and more popular just because of how good it is. Mm-hmm. People talk about it. You'd be surprised, Greg, how many people I talk to that don't even touch retro games, but they've heard about Chrono Trigger. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it blows my mind yeah. because there's a lot of RPGs that I like that no one's ever heard of. Mm. Secret of Amore is one of them, yeah. which is my favorite RPG of the Super Nintendo. Not because it, it's not better than Chrono Trigger, it's just, for me, um, a nostalgic aspect. But Chrono Trigger has that pull into people that people know this mystique of this amazing RPG, might not have played it, but know how good it is because people continue to say it's good. Um, so just imagine if we got a Chrono Trigger sequel announcement. Mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, not like Red yeah. Well, the game has been ported several times, though at least. Uh, like I said, so like I said earlier, uh, the first port of the game came out with the PlayStation uh, in two thousand one. Uh, they added on some anime cutscenes. I mean, like on the beginning of joint. I mean, on to the beginning and end of the game, a couple other like small improvements, but the loading time for that game was very, very slow. Um, trying to go into your menu system or whatnot just took several seconds. That really kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. I remember, like, I don't understand why, like, being on a disc, you think you'd be so transitional. Yes, uh, playing on the Super Nintendo is a lot faster. It's not sloppy emulation. That's all I can uh, uh, yeah. attribute it to. Just so you know, they didn't really put the effort into it. But, uh, but the DS version is perfect. The DS version is amazing. I mean, like, you know... It's the best. Um, the DS version not only not only has the game in a, in a portable manner, which is great, it, uh, I mean, it also adds, like, you know, two new scenarios. 
Um, so that can be like one of the scenarios that it adds on um, is to have a. Uh, uh, um, uh, so one of the scenarios that it's. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but one of the scenarios that it adds on is to slice. Uh, I know likes to like to have like a new like new area to fight through, and another scenario adds on. They're trying to tie the game like into Chrono Cross uh, to make the game like more of a proper like a proper sequel like this game was. Um, um, uh, so and just like you know, it's just really just a really great great version of the game. This is really how a remake of the game like, should be done. Um, and the original. The, the original the original Super NES version of the game is still available like still available also like on the virtual console also if you should want to get it that way but uh, but yeah um, this game's getting harder to find on the DS so if you haven't bought it yet I'd recommend doing it soon because we're talking about how how much the game goes for like an eBay in the Super NES version the DS version of the game is getting out of print now also and also getting very pricey so. Um, but to have this, because you can get this on mobile, and I, I tell everybody to stay away from the mobile version. <laughs> I, I would say if you're going to get any version, play it on the DS. Mm. It's a great portable experience. It runs perfectly on the 3DS, um, and it's worth the investment. Um, not to say it's not worth getting on Super Nintendo, but obviously this, the scarcity of it, um, the DS version, if you get your hands on it, it is the best way to play this game. Mm. I've I played it on... Um, Many times over on my 3ds, and I just—it's the perfect, the perfect game to kind of stop and start. You close your lid, open it up again, and continue. Um, it's the ultimate experience of the DS, definitely. Uh, just to, yeah, definitely. Just to, uh, I just to like to pick your brain, uh, like real quick here on something like you know related to that. Um, yeah, of course. Um, uh, kind of a two-part question: uh, Have you played Chrono Cross? Uh, like the PlayStation, and what did you think about the, uh, the scenario? I kind of thought the scenario for the DS, they kind of, they kind of, they kind of rammed it in there a little bit to try to make more of a Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross connection, uh, you know, than was there previously. I haven't played Chrono Cross. So for me, um, not to sound naive, but I just feel like you know, after reading about it and and and, and looking at it, it, just doesn't. I don't get the feel of Chrono Trigger in it. It's just one of those things that I don't feel the need to go play. Um, I want a true sequel. You know, I want Chrono Trigger 2. That's what I want. Um, in terms of the scenario within the DS, it makes sense why they do it because because that Chrono Cross came out, they want to have a connecting tie. Like from a, from a storytelling perspective, I think the writers would probably go, look, I want to fix this now because we can. Um, but it doesn't, take a, it doesn't take anything away from the game. So if you hadn't played Chrono Trigger before, it would, you wouldn't even notice, to be honest with mm. you. It's just it's, it's there. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on Chrono Cross? Well, like I said earlier, I think Chrono Cross is a great game. Uh, it's certainly not as great as Chrono Trigger, but I definitely agree with you on the fact that it's not. That you know, unfortunately, 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 like it isn't like it isn't a, a true sequel. But there is, but there is a lot of gameplay elements and stuff that the flames have to carry over, like in the Chrono Cross. Uh, you still have, um, uh, you still have the main character as a sound protagonist. You still have time traveling uh, aspects to it. Uh, the, like you still have the whole and uh, you still have the whole like, anime look. You still have great music. Uh, that opening piece, like Dream of Another Shore, uh, in, in that game is just simply beautiful. It's one of the best PlayStation music uh, pieces that I've heard. Um, and can they also do some very interesting things, like the main character, that again, you know, again, kind of reminded me of, of Chrono Trigger. Um, so as a spiritual sequel, I think it's a good game. Um, it just simply, uh, some parts of it are a little bit dated now, unfortunately. One of the things I loved about the DS version uh, of Chrono Trigger was to have the fast 
I don't know if you know what's that, the fast walk um, uh, flight of your characters, because like a modern game really needs that. Plotting along in the Super NES games now, that slow walking pace is so tedious. Uh, you've gotten so used to having characters like zip across the screen like nothing, so... But... But... Uh, but, uh, yeah, um... So, uh, let's go into some of the, uh, 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 codes, cheats, secrets, that kind of stuff, uh, that are in the game, because there's a bunch, and some people out there may not be aware of all this stuff. Uh, I certainly wasn't, just like, like, I started, like, you know, researching it. Um, for the Super NES game, um, you know, these all apply to the Super NES game, I think. I don't know if any of these carry over on the DS version, I apologize. Um, if for some reason you want to erase all the saved games on your cart, uh, you can do that. Um, you just have to hit like start select on control two and you'll be getting a, a yes or no confirmation box. Um, so, uh, there's also, there's also like a few, uh, cheats, uh, a, a few cheats in the game that allow you to be able to get like infinite power tabs, uh, like not to be able to get like infinite shelters. Um, so I won't go into that here, but you can find that like online if you want to. Um, you can also, uh, uh also like in the 65 million BC time period, you can also, you can also like receive some rare items, some rare items there, like by having to go into a fight. Um, and there's also there's also a bug that allows you to be able to save anywhere, uh, like in the Giant's Claw and and Tower of Fortress uh, a bit, uh, areas, which kind of like strange how that works. Like the like the two areas, two areas like where I was like in the game. And finally, you can also get ten mid efforts, uh, like in Lab Thirty Two, by beating Johnny in a, in a bite. Except beating Johnny in that bike race and then getting like a, a a perfect score of seven seven seven. So um, um, and and like I said earlier, uh, this game this game does command a pretty high price, like an eBay. This is kind of one of those situations where it's good situations of the like there's good news, bad news. Um, the good news is that this game is readily available. Um, as long as you have the money and as long as you want to point up for it, you can get a copy of this game very easily because there were 112 copies of this game currently being sold with 685 copies that recently sold like over the last three months. Uh, but because this game is so popular, like it's so loved, uh, you really got to pay for it, unfortunately. Uh, if you want the physical cart, uh, these prices include shipping. Physical cart will run you anywhere from... Physical cart of the game will run you anywhere from $57 to $134, uh, which is very pricey like for like a cart-only game. And if you want a CIB, that starts to be worth $150 all the way up to $409 complete. So Greg, I was just going to ask you before we wrap up the show, just um, your favorite moment in the game. There's obviously that happened. There's a lot that goes on with the story. <laughs> Is there anything that's really rememberable to you in terms of when you played it? Uh, it's uh, well for me. It's an easy answer. It's a combat answer, probably, but just simply that moment when Chrono sacrificed himself uh, to actually to, to, to actually to actually like I said earlier to actually to actually see a main character die. And then, like, not come back, like, right away. I mean, you, like I said earlier, you do get the chance to bring him back eventually if you want to. But, you know, I thought for sure that was just a trick at first. And, like, you know, when I realized that he actually did it, he's not coming back. You know, uh, you know, 
It's like a game of that time period to have that in it, it was just like mind blowing. Just like even when I played two thousands, it wasn't it wasn't that much later after the game came out, and that, again, that was still pretty. That's still a pretty neat concept. I can I, uh, I can only think of a handful of games when the main character can actually die during the course of the game, but again, the game goes on. So it's really unique. It's really it's really mind blowing. It really makes a very powerful impact um, uh, a powerful impact on the player also because. Um, you know, because the way it happens, what the characters say, and how they react to it, the music, you know, the music that plays during it and everything, it just all kind of comes together like for an awesome moment. And also, that final boss battle uh, against the Lavos, excellent boss fight. Probably, she'll probably want to, she'll probably one of the best boss battles I've ever done. Well, I agree with everything you just said, and I just think there's so many story elements in this game that kind of stand out. But for me, in terms of um, moment and what stays with me the most for some reason is more early game when you're in the jail um, and it leads to a court scene and then um, you have to battle that robotic um, dragon-like mm. uh, yeah. machine on the bridge um, that stays with me for some reason just a very epic moment for the game especially early on because it introduces you to a boss battle with um, different ways of tackling it and as well um, this this wasn't my experience. What I'm reading is that if you spend too long in the jail, I think um, uh, your friend comes and saves you. What's her name? Um, Jesus, I forgot her name. Um, not Mal, the the scientist girl. Oh, uh, Luca. Yeah, so Luca comes and saves you um, if you spend too long in the jail. Yes, that's uh, true. I confirmed so, that. <laughs> yeah, so that's a cool element as well to the game. So yeah, I just want to uh, make that uh, put that out there just because. That whole scene is very dynamic because it goes through different transitions and it tells a story so well of you trying to escape and then having that cool boss battle at the end. Yeah, it's really rewarding for me. And um, yeah, like I said, overall, there's so many cool concepts in this game, especially when it comes to the story and the narrative. Mm, definitely. Um, so let's finish up with a little bit of feedback. Uh, we did post this on our Facebook page several days ago. I apologize of not being able to get like more advanced notice, but if anybody has any feedback that they want to cite like, to the game, um, you know, uh, you know, by all means, you're welcome to. We can take it either on Facebook or you can also send me an email directly at the SNES Podcast Yahoo.com. Um, I got two responses here from some of the uh, more active, more active supporters of the podcast. Um, uh, Eric Hyde commented that he remembered playing this game back in high school, back when it first came out, and. Um, it was his first RPG game, and it was just um, RPG game, and he was blown away by it. Uh, the story, graphics, characters, uh, the music. He loved how the characters double team moves, and also how you had to decide which people would like the best to have together, to have together, have together for a certain task. Um, but then finding out you know, multiple endings, like it was like mind blowing. Um, it's uh, this game is in the top two games of all time, and top few top Super NES game of, uh, like of all time. So. Um, and, and then after that, like Peter Guzman commented that when he first played the game, you know, he was very confused as what was going on in the game. And I can see that, you know, somebody not, uh, somebody not used to an RPG trying this as the first RPG can be kind of like daunting, you know, daunting at first. But, uh, he had to, uh, he had to go on the game up and he can print up a, he can print up a fact that was a hundred pages long, um, and, uh, to, to help him get through the game, and he can't remember wasting so much ink on that. So, <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, I mean, like you know, uh, like, 
But like I said earlier, I think this game is an easy RPG game, but for a first RPG game, probably not recommended because there are some very confusing aspects to it. Uh, the game assumes you have a basic knowledge of how Japanese RPG styles of that time period work and everything. So probably best start. But you know, like um, the games, you know, I'm you know I'm glad you so. Like I'm glad you love the game, but uh, probably something if you've not played an RPG out there for whatever reason, probably. Probably you'll probably try something else first uh, before starting out this game. Yeah, like you've got you've eventually got to play it either way. Like this is a must-play title um, for anyone, not just that likes RPGs, just for video games. It, it is literally um, one of the best video games of all time, and it's we you, we could probably agree on that, right, Greg? I mean, it's mm. such a masterpiece of an RPG. Yeah. Um, but also for its technical limitations on a console, it's yeah, it's such a. Um, on an, on an epic scale, it's such an achievement, um, and for me, it'll always stick with me on my in my gaming life. Anyway, yeah, uh, this game yeah. definitely great. The Super NES certainly had a lot of great RPGs, so this game certainly has a lot of competition for me. Uh, I do prefer Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI a little bit better, like about this one. Um, and you know, Earthbound, I think also, I think also compares very, 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 very favorably to favorably this one to like the point where I don't think I could say which one I prefer more. But but this game definitely is an awesome RPG. It holds it very well today, especially in the DS remake. Um, and for some reason, you've not played this game yet, and you enjoy RPGs even the slightest. This game's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, like just to sum up my thoughts, you know. It has an incredible battle system. It's very innovative for the time. Um, the story is riveting. It has multiple endings. Great new game plus mode, you know. So it's it's worth your time. Um, it's immersive. Like the story is immersive, especially for the limitations of how to tell a story back then. It really immerses you into this narrative. Um, and the soundtrack is epic. It's varied. It adds so much. Again, it's just something to experience. This game has just so much going for it. And I said it earlier, but it is really a masterpiece. And I just hope that if you haven't played it yet, you should check it out. Definitely. So, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, I know, uh, as mentioned, she was mentioned, she was mentioned throughout the podcast, we're going to be transitioning over um, uh, to the uh, Lipson site. Um, um, I... Do not have that URL handy at the moment. I apologize. I will try to uh, get it out there on audio, you know, audio recording uh, very shortly. Uh, to very short, also, let everybody that knows about it. You can also send us feedback on the Facebook page. Um, we have a very active group on there, like a vibrant like. So thanks everybody out there. And you can also email me. And you can also email me directly at the Super NES Podcast at, at yahoo.com. Um, and Alexandro, how can somebody? I get in touch with you. Yeah, so I, I've changed my Twitter handle to make it easier for people to find me, I guess. Um, it's now aligned with my blog. Um, my blog is called thenerdfashionista.com. You'll find more modern reviews, inside pieces on the gaming industry. Um, but I also have a new blog piece um, released called The Super NES Journal. And I used Razor as my opening piece for it. So you should check that out. That's on the Super NES Facebook page. But you can tweet me at, at nerdfashionista, N-E-R-D, Fashionisto, um, and I would really like anybody to say hello and just tell me your love for the Super Nintendo and also your thoughts on this show, feedback. But you know, we've got 500 members now on the Facebook page, which is like an amazing achievement for us. You know, especially for you, Greg. Congratulations, because you know I know how much work and love and effort you put into this, um, and to get to this point is amazing. But what we want to see now is more engagement, more conversation. Uh, so we're going to do we're going to do a better job. We're trying to get out, um, get more content out there, but also we want you guys 
to interact more with us. We want to have more comments on the show. We want to have more feedback on the show. So tell us how you feel, even if it's a couple of sentences. Um, we would love to hear feedback. And I think um, not, not to, to be transparent, a lot of work goes into this. We love what we do, um, but we want to hear more from you guys. So please get it out there um, and share your feelings with us. So next in the podcast, we're going to be talking about um, a uh, a very controversial, but also like a very uh, much talked about uh, a game, you know, game of the Super NES. Um, uh, definitely kind of unique uh, in this like sense that this is a um, uh, a collection a collection of games uh, ported over to the Super NES like from another system, which is something we haven't talked about directly here on the podcast before, on the podcast on the podcast like before in the past. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the Super NES version of Ninja Gaiden Trilogy, which is a re-release of the Ninja Gaiden games that originally came out originally came out several years previously, like for the NES. Um, so uh, this has always been a very interesting game to me. So I'm definitely we're definitely going to be looking forward to talking about this uh, with you uh, with you in the next podcast, like I was on because we've already talked about how you know I have a you know, I have a lot of history, history and experience and love with like this flood like series going back to the NES days, whereas you are more of a newcomer to it. So it's definitely going to be interesting to hear your, uh, you're definitely going to be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, like my take will be on an angle of, you know, it is a package and I, obviously I know that they're aborted games, but um, I did play uh, the Ninja Gaiden games as a young young boy, but my memories of them are really jaded. So um, it'd be fun to kind of um, re-experience them and talk about them as a whole um, and as a trilogy um, on a system. But I was going to ask you before we wrap the show up, it, it, it blows my mind that um, Square have not put together a Squaresoft RPG collection for any system today. Like you can buy them separately and they're sporadic, but imagine them putting together a collection of their best obscure famous RPGs are one place to play. I just wish that that would happen. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think we'll eventually see maybe a collection or a package of these RPGs? Like, not the Final Fantasies, but maybe the Chrono Triggers, the Secret of Mana, the Secret of Evermore, um, you know, the, the Mario RPG. Like, a lot of those in one place to play. I think that would be, it'd be great to have that available. Uh, I don't know that... Um, I don't know if it's ever going to happen for several reasons. Uh, one of them is that, you know, Square's philosophy just doesn't reorient itself to doing major collections like that. The, the most they'll do it for a collection is, like, two games. Uh, pretty much, like, in, like, Final Fantasy... Um, you know, Final Fantasy Chronicles, Final Fantasy... Uh, and, like, Final Fantasy Adventure... Um, uh, sorry. Um, uh, whatever the other one was called. Like, PlayStation... That's pretty much it. That's pretty much the extent of a collection that Square's done. Their philosophy just doesn't really orientate itself to, to releasing their games in multiple collections like that. Uh, two, there's two. You have copyright issues, especially with like you know like games like you know Mario RPG. That game took forever um, to come out on the on the uh, virtual console because of all the copyright issues associated with it. So uh, trying to yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. Right. I mean, I, I put my business cap on. I understand. There is also a lot of lot more money available in, in releasing separate titles, especially with their mobile centric focus right now. I mean, they just released Final Fantasy VII for mobile. Um, pretty much, you've got all of them on, available to play on your smartphone. But if I look at a platform like the 3DS, right, putting together a Super Nintendo focused collection, find a way to get the licensing to happen. Because if you got Final Fantasy three, two, which is four and six, sorry, um, maybe the NES. Games that were published, some were published by Nintendo, putting them on so you can have like a Super Nintendo centric 
Squaresoft RPG celebration for the 3DS. And obviously, I'm not sure what the return of investment will be, but I think that'd be a great throwback to the fans of that time and that era because you can play Secret of Mana on your mobile. You can play Chrono Trigger on the DS. You can play it on your mobile. You can play all the Final Fantasies in, on multiple PlayStation platforms. But I'm just saying on a, on a 3DS as a platform, it'd be great to be able to like celebrate Super Nintendo's legacy of RPGs, especially from a company that owned the RPG. Like they were... They had the market share. They were known for quality. And I just would have loved to have seen them put together a package and a throwback to the Super Nintendo era. I should have been more specific before. But, yeah, that's what I'm kind of getting there, getting to anyway. Sure, I'd love to see that. I know, I definitely would buy it. But, you know, because... Yeah, yeah, because not only do you have Square's collection of games, you also have Enix's... uh, um, Yeah, shit. Like, ActRaiser. You know, give us access to ActRaiser again. You know? Yeah, the Dragon Warrior games. Um, yeah, Annex had some great, yeah. um, some great licensed IPs. Uh, had some great IPs. So we'll see. Yeah. It, it just, you know, this is my fan speaking. You know, I'm a fan of of all these. But as a business mind, you're right. You know, philosophy is important when it comes to business, especially from Square. They're all about the future. Um, but yeah, anyway, you never know. Maybe mm. next year. <laughs> yeah, it would be great to see. Like for sure. You know, I think we are lucky uh, that we even got a remake of Chrono Trigger. Like, of Chrono Trigger that came out like the DS, so I think we should all be appreciative of that yeah. at least. There's a larger store base there, mm-hmm. and it makes sense. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, so thank you very much, everybody, for like, your continued support. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon, uh, and thank you very much uh, like, for all the downloads and feedback and to, to, to your feedback and appreciation that everybody has given to us like, in the podcast. Alexander and I have some very special episodes planned. Uh, we kind of have there, we kind of have everything tentatively mapped out <laughs> mapped out for the rest of the year here. Uh, so I don't want to tip our hand quite yet on what we're going to be working on. But there's special episodes coming up. But you're coming up on the podcast. Um, uh, besides, the, you know, besides the Super NES Draft episode. Uh, uh, so stay tuned for all that. So, uh, and also, if you guys get a chance, please check out the Super Mario World episode and the Super Tech Mobile episode that went out. That's our last two shows. Um, I think there's some really interesting conversations there that I would love uh, for everyone to have a listen to. And, and again, give us your feedback on them. Yes, definitely. Uh, so thank you again for like, the support for everyone. Uh, uh, everyone, And thank you again um, for podcasting with me again tonight, um, like Alessandro. And uh, it was great talking about this, uh, it was great talking about this uh, classic game with you. Always a pleasure, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, thank you. I Take care, all.
Steampunk House.